1: and find purpose in staying free
0: forever. Here are your hosts, Matt Klein and and Halfman. Hello,
1: hello. Welcome back to another Pure Victory podcast. Today I have a great guest. Not really a guest, but <laughs> Matt Klein. We're going to be talking to him today. I'm going to be the interviewer. This is going to be a lot of fun. We're going to be chatting through insecurities before we get going in on that i want to mention again the pornea webinar series that's coming up this week again it's been happening for 10 straight weeks but this coming weekend we have mark mckinney that is the husband of rosie mckinney from his past week and he's going to be talking about the path out of porn and he has an expertise on this i would highly recommend that you plug into this check it out register for it and we encourage you this is going to be something that is very helpful very eye-opening and i'm excited to hear it too so check it out That said, though, let's get going on today's podcast. And insecurities, these are things that exist in our life that sometimes are running in the background, we're not aware of, but they affect us. They really touch us in ways that will lead us to either um, kind of spiral down or act out at points, right? Eventually. So we need to be aware of these things. They're important to understand those areas where we are insecure and how we can deal with them and invite God into them. So let's get going on this. So, Matt. Let's talk about insecurities. Yeah, I think it's funny. You say we're talking about insecurities today. It's going to be fun. And I'm like, yeah,
0: it's always fun talking about the insecurities of our life, eh? It's always exactly what we want to do. What do you do for fun? I talk to people about my insecurities. <laughs> so much fun. <laughs> so much fun. So, but no, it is It is fun just sharing a story. And so I, I just... Uh, Lately, it's been it's been coming up so much with guys where we're working with them, we're getting porn out of the, out of their life, and and the guys who are experiencing porn freedom, they're they're diving deeper than ever into what's going on under the surface, and so multiple guys lately many guys are saying like man there's a lot going on in my life and so now I've been porn free for some time but now I'm becoming a new man or like oh man I'm realizing the way that I treat my wife is not the way that I want and so it all stems from insecurities and so even there was one guy a few weeks ago, he's like, I, I've got some insecurities that I've heard you touch on in your podcast. So can we chat about that? And and I just thought, you know, it might be good to just share my story of battling insecurities and, and the process that the Lord has taken me through up to this point. And I'm sure there's going to be more in the future of dealing with these insecurities because there really has been pivotal moments in my life where he's taken me to to one level of freedom and then the next level of freedom and, and an understanding how this works. And so if you've if you've been a listener to other episodes you've heard me refer to this and and some of these stories i don't think many, but maybe one or two of them maybe i've referred to on, a, on other episodes but but you have heard me say that I had this feeling of um of not feeling like people wanted to hear my voice, not feeling like I was cool, feeling like if I was in a circle of people or a group of friends, I was the one that nobody really wanted to hang out with and this is kind of what i've learned about insecurities is, is insecurities stem from from certain moments in our life uh, an event happens where you get rejected and that becomes the way that you see the world and so i had best friends when i was when i was in elementary and i remember that in particular these two guys i was best friends with with kind of both of them at different times i guess but we all played hockey together and they weren't really friends with each other but i was was with both of them and then over the course of time they started a relationship and they started hanging out all the time and and they were closer with each other than they were with me and so i kind of was was going like do they now enjoy the friendship that they have with each other more than they enjoy the friendship that they had with me? And, and it kind of became a question in my mind. Then when I was in grade six, I was friends with this guy who I who I sat beside in class. And so, I, you know, I, I kind of felt like, hey, Mike and I are friends and, and I felt accepted by him and we'd have fun together in class. And I was in a hockey program at school and I was friends with this other guy um, named Aaron. And Aaron and I, we kind of had fun together. We got along and And then the next year in grade seven, they really became good friends. And I remember I was up doing a public speaking thing, which obviously, I mean, that's what we do now. So it's kind of funny looking back to school. But in school years, I mean, most people, I think, kind of hate public speaking, right? Like getting up in front of the class. And so I was in that position. I just didn't like it at all. And I remember Mike and Aaron, these two guys I was friends with, they were making fun of my shirt. And I felt so insecure and and kind of beaten down in that moment. And that kind of continued. So that was the first event with them. But but they continued kind of ganging up on me. And it made me feel again like, okay, there's these two guys that I was friends with that now they're better friends with each other than they were with me. Fast forward a few years, I was about uh, 13, I guess, and I was playing hockey and, and two guys on my team, they were really good friends. And I wasn't necessarily good friends with either of them, but they were good friends with each other. And there were a couple of us on the team that they started to kind of give a hard time to, and I was one of them. And so, again, it was like there's these two guys that are ganging up on me together. I was uh, 17. There were two guys that I wanted to be friends with. I, I kind of put them in a position in my life where I desired a friendship with them just because I wanted to be accepted. But we never really did have a deep friendship. It was just something that was kind of a longing in my heart because I didn't really have other friendships at that time in my life that were that were deep. I was playing junior hockey. and And when you're on a team, I mean, that's everything that you do. When you're at the rink, when you're um, at school, you're just with your teammates. And so outside of that, I didn't really have many people in my life. I wasn't living in the city that I grew up in. And so these two guys I wanted to be friends with, but they were better friends with each other. And I remember this time where we were all in a hotel together and there was one truck. So one of these guys had a truck that we were all driving back and forth um, in from the rink to the hotel. And we were all driving together. But I remember after practice one day... I was standing in in the rink and I went outside to leave and I saw them leaving in the truck. And so there were these two guys, again, that were better friends with each other than they were with me. And so this this situation kept on happening in my life. And it just reaffirmed that if I was one-on-one with either of them, they would rather be with the other person than be with me. And so then when I was one-on-one with anybody, I was like, man, surely they would rather be with somebody else. And it got to the point where I was even with my parents, and my parents and I have a great relationship. But I'd be driving with my dad, and I would just be telling myself, Man, he's probably so bored being with his son. He's probably like, Man, I wish I could have fun with my son. And that, (laughs) like, not at all. Like, my dad loves me. My mom loves me. I love both of them. But that was just something that I would tell myself because what happens is when we have an insecurity that's based on something in reality, that becomes the way that we see the world and see ourselves and see other people and so even when i'm not getting rejected by people i perceive that i am and so if somebody says something that's very innocent and it could even be loving i take that in a way of like surely they're rejecting me um even a situation where it'd be silent like say i'd be i'd be with somebody and we'd be driving you know say it's for a 10 hour drive or on a road trip and there would be silence well Silence can indicate that you're really comfortable with somebody, but I would take that as, man, they're probably so bored with me, they don't even want to engage. And so there's a, there's, a, there's a positive reality that sometimes we miss because of insecurities in the way that we see things, and we feel rejected when we haven't dealt with what's going on. And so when I then would engage in pornography, it would be the thing that would bring me the most excitement. I would do that when I would feel rejected by people. Why would I ever open up to people if people didn't want to hear what I had to say? If I wasn't cool, if I wasn't fun, if people didn't truly care about me like they cared about other people, why would I ever open up? And so it led into this lifestyle of seeking out times to be by myself more than to be with people. And so because porn was in my life, that's what I would do. But then I wouldn't open up to people. And so an insecurity that's not dealt with often will lead to porn and it will lead to addiction and it will lead to to addictive behavior. So, when I was in my 20s, I, I, that's when kind of social media became a big thing. And, and, you know, you just kind of friend everybody that, that at least on Facebook, the terminology is you friend people, right? Or ask for a friend request, whatever. And so, pretty much everybody in your life, I mean, that's what, what I would do, people that I know. And so, I would be friends with some of these people who I felt rejected by. And I remember every time I'd see their names pop up on Facebook, I would always feel uh gross i'd feel um even like defeated or beat down i remember thinking like oh they're just out living their life they're probably doing well and don't even they don't even know that they affected me and here i am affected right and it's kind of how victims often feel where man the person who victimized me they're able to just go live their life but i'm sitting here with the negative effects and so i had these feelings every time i'd see these names and it doesn't make a guy feel good it makes you kind of feel crappy which opens the door to pornography and to addiction.
1: Did you find that it stopped you from making new friends because you felt like what's the point?
0: Yeah that's actually a really great question. I've, I've recognized to be honest even to this day some elements of what I call self-sabotage and what a, I mean self-sabotage is not a term I came up with but the self-sabotaging behavior is way less in my life now than it was back then but But self-sabotage is basically when you perceive things in a negative way, you don't act on it. And so it's exactly what you're saying. Like I would have opportunities to be friends with people, but I, what I call self-sabotage that relationship or that opportunity. And I wouldn't open up to people or I wouldn't call them to hang out. Or I would even take offense if they didn't invite me to something and I felt like I could be invited to it. I'd be like, oh, well, obviously they don't like me. Right. And so I wouldn't pursue that relationship. And so yeah I mean it does like when we don't deal with our insecurities it it leads to self sabotage it leads to a victim mentality it leads to feeling sorry for our, for ourselves and ultimately to to damaging and destructive behavior in our life and so I remember I was now about 25 or 26 I guess 26 years old and I was in a in a school in a ministry school at my church and our pastor it was the first night of this school and he was giving this talk on forgiveness and just about the importance of forgiveness and how to forgive. And so he led us through praying and forgiving these people by name, specifically for for what they had done and for the hurt that they had caused us in our life. And then on top of that, blessing them. I know and I think it's Matthew 5, it, Jesus talks about, you know, bless those who persecute you, pray for those who hate you, do good to those who are against you. And not in those words, I'm just, that's that's the point though, is that he's saying like, don't just, don't just forgive and leave it, like do good, like bless the people. And so when he was talking about forgiveness, I'm like, OK, so after he finished, he was like, anybody who wants to kind of be led in this, go go find a leader to help you pray through forgiveness. So I was praying out loud, actually, for all of these people who had kind of caused hurt in my life. And and I remember forgiving them by name. I remember praying that God would bless them. I mean, I don't know if any of them are believers. And so I was praying that really that, that God would show up in their life and that they'd know him. And man, forgiveness is so powerful. Forgiveness, when you really understand how to do it and what it does, it it not only, like it says in Matthew 18, um, stops your heart from being bitter, but it also, it, one pastor said to me once, it's like the Holy Spirit goes from you to the other person. So your whole you're, the Holy Spirit's ministering to you to forgive. But then when you do that, it's benefiting the other person where now God is going to work on that person. And so when you pray to forgive and to bless that person, now you're thinking more about what God can do for them. You're not just thinking about the pain that they've caused you. And so when you're forgiving, I think it's super important to understand that we don't forgive once we don't have pain. Like Jesus wasn't getting hammered, getting nailed to the cross and going, you know what? I'm going to cry out to God for forgiveness for my my abusers once I don't feel the pain anymore. I'm going to work through the pain so that I can finally, you know, weeks from now forgive my abusers. He was getting nailed to the cross. And in the moment they were nailing his hands to the cross, he was crying out for their forgiveness. And so we often will even go to a counselor's office and And we'll try to work through the pain of the trauma or the event or the insecurity and get to the point where finally we can forgive. We say things like, yeah, you know what, I'm working on forgiving that person. Just, you know, give me time to forgive that person. And when we understand biblical forgiveness, Jesus never forgave with the intention of setting his own soul free. He never forgave with the intention of getting his own heart good. And often in our world, we'll say, we better forgive or else we're going to be bitter. And our intention to forgive someone else is that we won't get tied up in bitterness. But that was never Jesus' way.
1: What did that do for you, though, in regards to your mindset towards these people? Because I know the emotion isn't always there. It doesn't follow the hurt, the pain. You still feel that. But how did that change you?
0: Yeah, it changed me, I think, to give me more of a perspective on them that Jesus has. Because when Jesus is forgiving... He forgives with the intention that the other people would experience the love of God. That's 100% the reason why Jesus forgives. So when we have the focus on our hearts or our minds that we need to forgive the person so that my own heart won't get bitter, that's not biblical. In Matthew 18, it says that if we don't forgive, our hearts will get bitter. That's a result of not forgiving. But that's never the reason why we should forgive. The reason why we should forgive is so that the other person can experience the love of God. Because that's why Jesus forgave his abusers. And as a side benefit of that, our hearts will be set free. And so you're asking, how did it help me see these people? It helped me see them in a light that I had never thought of before. I'd never considered praying for their salvation, praying for their faith. Because every time that I saw their names, I would feel hurt. I'd feel like a victim. I'd feel defeated. And so forgiving really opened up my eyes and my heart to really pray for them to know the Lord and and for God to bless them. Having this principle in mind that we forgive not when we're free of pain, but we forgive immediately. Like in in Ephesians, it says to forgive as Christ forgave. So in other words, forgive in the same way that Christ forgave, which is immediately, fully, and that we never bring it up again, and that we bless the other person. It's for their benefit. And so in the midst of pain, we want to forgive. We want to forgive and have God bless that person, pray for their salvation, pray for their wholeness in their heart. And what was so cool was that when I did that, it was literally the very next morning, I was praying again and God, I don't know if I was praying about my insecurities or about these people or if I was praying about something different, I I don't know. But I remember God kind of taking me through this journey, this visual journey in my mind's eye of all these different moments where I had been rejected or where I had been hurt. And God was saying, man, I've always been your best friend. Don't seek, like don't care about what they did for you so much. I was always your best friend. When I was 17 and I was watching my my friends drive away from the hockey rink without me, God gave me this visual that he was standing right beside me with his arm around me. And he was saying, I've always been with you. Even when you didn't know, I was always with you. And so I think it's super powerful to understand that when we forgive, it opens up our hearts to bless them. But it also opens up our hearts for God to move in and heal those memories. When we're in unforgiveness, our heart is bitter. It says in scripture that blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. When we're, when our heart is not pure, when our heart is, you could say, impure because of unforgiveness, we won't see the God, the move of God in our life. And so God wants to come and he wants to heal us from these insecurities, but we've got to forgive to really start that process of healing the pain. And so the cool thing is, now when I look back on those moments that really led into insecurity, I just think like, man, God was with me. When I th- when I have that visual of my my those two guys driving away from the rink without me, I, I I literally don't feel any pain. I feel like oh man, God was with me, and it's this reminder to praise Him and to rejoice and to realize that He's so good and faithful to me. And so He wants to heal our memories, just like He did with Joseph in the Bible. Joseph was abused by all of his brothers and and sold into slavery by his brothers, and when he sees them twenty two years later. He says, Man, it wasn't you that sold me, it was God, because God wanted to send you, send me ahead of you to save your lives. And so Joseph is now forgiving them and he's realizing that he was he's there for their benefit. It's this whole forgiveness that he's experienced in his heart. But what's interesting was that his perception has totally changed of his memory. His memory is that God sent him ahead of his brothers, that God sent him to Egypt but if you read early in the story it doesn't say anything about that it says his brother sold him <laughs> and so god will change the memories and the way that we see things when we let him into our insecurities so a couple months after i had this this experience where god was showing me these different visuals and changing the way that i was seeing my memories i was i was realizing that you know what i haven't laughed for a long time and i remember it was kind of sad <laughs> i had two of my 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 best buddies living with my parents actually I had moved out but they were living with my parents and just renting out rooms and so I was over there one night and the five of us were hanging out and and my dad and and my two buddies they were telling just hilarious stories of their childhoods and funny things and antics that they'd been up to and my mom was in there too and they're all laughing they're all like throwing their heads back laughing and I was thinking, this is so sad. And with my two best friends and my parents who I love, they're telling hilarious stories that I know in my head are funny, but I can't laugh. And I realized that I hadn't laughed for like, I don't know if it was months or years, but I was just kind of oppressed. Like I, I I just couldn't have joy. And so I was praying for probably two to three months hard after this, that, that God would help me to laugh. And I remember even driving and just kind of saying like, God, I know this is a weird request. I know it's funny, but, but you can do everything and help me to laugh. I just want to laugh. And so I would pray this literally just consistently. And one night I was I was reading the Bible in my in my um, extra room in my apartment where I was living, and I remember reading the Bible and just thinking, "You know what I want to pray?" And so I, I lay down on the floor actually in my closet. I had this prayer closet that I cleaned out, so the closet was empty and, it, and I'd go in there and I'd pray. I, it was my literal prayer closet. I loved it. and I was praying and and all of a sudden, it was a very bizarre experience. But I started laughing, but it wasn't me. It was like the Holy Spirit laughing through me. And it might sound weird to some people, but but it was, a, it was a very, very cool experience. And I remember just laughing and thinking, what is happening right now? And it was a belly laugh like I had never experienced in my life before. And so I was laughing and laughing and laughing. And it was like almost an uncontrollable laughter. And all of a sudden, my arms started shaking. And I I was like, what is happening? Like, why is my arm shaking? This had never happened to me before. I remember as my arm was shaking, as I was laughing, thinking about this insecurity of being with people and with being with one person or being with two people. And I remember thinking about this and then clear as day, hearing this voice whisper into my ear. And I don't think I've ever had this kind of experience since. But I remember thinking these thoughts, that insecurity is too big for God to deal with. I I thought that it was a thought, but it was actually a voice whispering into my ear, and it, and it was this voice that that I had never really recognized. But it was it was I don't know how to explain it well. It was a bizarre experience. But as soon as I had that thought, or I heard those words, that insecurity is too big for God to deal with. My arm started shaking even more, and I was like, "What on earth is going on?" And God said to me, "I heard His voice." He said, "I'm shaking that off of you. I'm shaking that off of you." I fully believe that that voice that said that insecurity is too big for God to deal with, I think that that was a demonic um, being that was whispering that to me because he knew that for years he had had me bound. He had shut me up. He would silenced my voice and not let me prosper in relationships. And so he was terrified that this was going to be the end of his hold on me. And so God said, I'm shaking that off you. I'm shaking that off you. And I went to bed that night and I woke up the next morning and I literally just felt so free. There was a guy that I was working with and he he's a he's a great guy he's a great visionary type guy he's charismatic and and he's a talker he he's kind of an external processor he's a he's an idea guy and so I was kind of working with him but because I had this insecurity of you know people don't want to hear my voice whenever whenever I would throw an idea out there and I felt like whether it was real or not like he wouldn't listen to it I would uh kind of shut down and go into my insecure self but after this experience, I remember going out for breakfast with this guy and we sat for an hour and a half. I was one on one. And remember, that was my insecurity with being with people. And I, for an hour and a half, we had a great time and I didn't feel insecure at all. And I think it's so cool to to recognize that God is faithful to the point where he'll, he'll give you moments in our lives that will heal our insecurities he won't just shake it off of us. He won't just remove an insecurity in our life, but he'll give us moments in our life that prove to us that our heart is good, that we're more secure, that we're not this this defeated victim. And so this moment with this guy where I went for breakfast was such a cool moment because I was like, man, I really am free. Like I'm really, um, I'm valued by him. We had a great time. He wasn't, you know, looking at his clock, at, at his watch, at his phone, um, trying to get out of there. He wasn't just trying to look around like he was engaged with me. And, and I remember pondering these things in my heart and letting it sink in, letting the positive sink in. And the sad thing that I've learned is that when people have insecurities that aren't dealt with, when these positive moments come in their life, they let, the, they let them pass and they dwell on the negative. And so a practical example would be if I was dwelling on the negative that I'm just rejected, this guy speaks over me, I've been spoken over my whole life, nobody wants to hear my voice. When I go and I have a lunch with this guy and we have or a breakfast and we have a great time, if I'm not healthy, I wouldn't ponder the positive of that great time. I would say, yeah, that was just an exception. He was probably just faking it. He he He's probably you know, going back to his wife and telling her about what a boring time that he had. Even though it 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 came across as a positive, I would I would find a way to convince myself that it was negative if I wasn't seeking health. But I really think it's important to understand that when Scripture says to take every thought captive under the obedience of Christ, it's not just negative thoughts. It's not just take that negative, tempting, evil thought captive. Take a positive thought captive and really dwell on it. Take this thought of like, man, I'm accepted by this guy. I'm accepted by God and take these thoughts captive. And I think it's really, really cool to do that and and let these positive moments that God gives us heal our
1: heart. So when you're pondering this good, that's kind of a first step in that situation. But how did that help you moving forward? Just framing everything in that light?
0: Yeah, you know what? We're we're, we're called in scripture to focus on things that are true and are noble and praiseworthy and excellent and good and And we're called to rejoice and to to pray always and not just pray desperation prayers for for him to come and make our lives great, but we're we're just called to just be in relationship with him and so as I started learning that you know what I'm not just rejected in life, I'm accepted. I started really pondering on these thoughts and realizing that my life doesn't have to be run by insecurity and what's cool is that when you ponder on these thoughts, when you ponder on that I am accepted. I am loved. I am not worse than anybody, not better than anybody. I am just me. I'm who God made me to be. I'm made in his image. And you ponder on these things that God says to you. What's so cool is that when moments come in your life that typically in the past would lead you down this this terrible road, where say now I'm with two people and they really truly are better friends with each other, say they really don't like me. Well, I got to tell you now, that does nothing to me in a negative sense because I've spent time dwelling on the words of God over my life and 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 feeling fulfilled that he's put relationships in my life that are good. I'm valued by people. I know no matter what that I'm valued by God. And so I think that one of the prime things that I always tell myself now in life is that whenever we're rejected, that's a prime opportunity to realize how loved we are by God. When I feel rejected by somebody, I sh- I can just go to the Lord in prayer right in the moment and be like, man, Lord, thank you that you're with me right now. I just love being with you. You're my best friend. You're my father. And you love me like crazy. And so you can have these kinds of thoughts and self-talk that are so healthy when you ponder on the positives, when you take the thoughts captive that are positive and you dwell on them, you assess them, you let them sink into your heart. And so it's a really, really practical healing thing to do. But when we're not in a place where we're, we're trying to overcome insecurity, we're never going to do that. You know, some people love being the victim. Some people just go, everybody's against me. All the bad things happen to me. There's nothing good that, that that comes into my life. Um, nobody likes me. Nobody accepts me. Nobody compliments me. And, and we're the victims. When we're when we're in that state, we're never going to dwell on the positives in, in our life. We're never going to take thoughts captive that are good because it, it doesn't go with the narrative that we're comfortable in. And so if somebody has a victim pattern in their life, we actually did a whole podcast on it that the mindset of a conqueror, you can go back in the podcast list and find that one. But when when you have that, you don't take these thoughts captive that will really set you up for so much fruit. And so I was on this journey and thinking like, you know what? God had set me free from this insecurity. He shook it off me that night. Um, I, I've taken thoughts captive. I'm feeling pretty good emotionally. And one night I was praying. My wife and I, we, were, I, we had just had our, our boy. He was a few months old. And we got given this book. And I think it's called Jesus, Can You Hear Me? It's a It's a book for kids. And it just kind of basically leads kids into asking Jesus questions and getting to know him and teaching kids to pray and be conversational with Jesus. And so I really like it just for adults. Like I open it. I'm like, man, this is just good for me to even just develop a childlike faith and relationship with Jesus. And so one of the questions I remember was, was Jesus, what's your favorite place? Like it's these kind of fun, innocent questions. It's it's just super cool. And so the instructions at the start of the book say, ask Jesus questions and then just sit and listen. And so with this question, it said, what's your favorite place? And I remember just sitting, closing my eyes and I got this mental picture of Jesus uh, just sprinting into the throne room and he was with me. He was holding my hand and he was running into the throne room in heaven. And there was a doorway going into the throne room. And as soon as Jesus crossed the threshold of the doorway and got into the throne room, I stopped. I didn't go into the throne room. And in scripture, it says that we can confidently and boldly enter the throne room of God. We can do that anytime. We've got full access to the Father. But I stopped at the doorway. And in this mental picture, Jesus kept on running. And I remember he looked behind me and he was like, he was waving at me like, Matt, come on, Matt, come on. I made a way for you. You can come. And I stopped. And I kind of came out of the vision and I was praying. I was asking God, I was like, why did I stop? Like, I know that I can enter into the throne room. I. It doesn't make sense to me that you would show me stopping before going in. And I heard God saying to me, you don't think that I care about what you have to say. But in reality, I'm eager to hear what you have to say. And I was like, man, I thought that I was good. I thought that my insecurity had been dealt with. But God was showing me two things. He was showing me, number one, that he knows us so much, that he knows my insecurity in my life had been that people didn't care what I had to say. And so his words to me in that prayer that day were, Matt, you think that I don't care what you have to say, but I'm eager to hear what you have to say. He was showing me that he knows the the insecurity, but he knows how to heal that. And he knows how to speak truth and love to that. But he was also showing me that this is why I don't pray as much as I could. This is why I don't pray as much as I even should. And he was saying to me, I want you to be in prayer, but this is a limiting belief in your life that when I talk about self-sabotage with relationships, I was self-sabotaging myself even with my Heavenly Father and thinking, you know what, like my prayers are probably not that significant. What would my prayer for the government really do? Like, what would my prayer for even things in my life really do? Would it be that powerful? My voice isn't really that significant, but he was saying to me, I'm eager to hear what you have to say. The powerful thing was that I thought that I was good. Like, I thought that I was done with this insecurity, but he was showing me that there's more to it that there's layers to, to just being a human, there's layers to hurts and to pain. And the more we're willing to dig in and the more we're willing to open up our hearts to God and be aware of the things that have led us to insecurity, the more he's going to be able to bring us healing and wholeness in our life. So going back to what we said at the beginning, when guys are engaged in pornography, we don't we never think about this stuff. But when guys are on this journey of getting free All of a sudden, like I I can tell you, lots of guys, even listening to the podcast here or or in our Pure Freedom journey, they're like, man, there's a lot under the surface that I didn't realize that now I'm able to go on this healing journey and get healthier than ever so that you won't be a house built on sand on a sunny day where you look good, you feel good, the windows are clean, but the moment a storm comes, the moment a hard thing comes into your life, you fall apart. When you've dealt with the insecurities, when you've lifted up the the lid underneath your your porn addiction or your porn use or whatever the sin is in your life, and you're willing to look at the driving factors there, all of a sudden you're going to move on to being a house built on the rock, on the foundation of Jesus, and it's going to really transform your life.
1: Thanks for sharing all that, Matt, your stories and the wisdom that you've learned through all this. uh, I think it's so important for us to really grasp how insecurities can be dealt with and that we have hope and that we can move past, but we need to be aware of them. So thanks for sharing all that, Matt. We're just going to wrap up today. We want to say thank you. We appreciate all the ways that you are sharing this and getting the word out, but thank you and we'll see you guys next week.